Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. One of the challenges of the Bible and making it approachable sometimes is that so much of the Bible's wisdom, instruction, what we learn from the Bible is through inference and experience and um, seeing examples. Even when the Bible is making direct commandments, it's making it to a set of people, but sometimes we can feel like there's a distance between us and who the Bible was written to. The great thing about our passage this morning is that it is the one time specifically that you and I make our way into the Bible itself. And if you didn't catch this when Cameron was reading it, in verse 20, Jesus says this as he's praying. For you to get the scene, he's at the end of his life. It's the night of his betrayal. He'll be crucified the next day. And he's praying to the Father, and he says this, I pray not only for these, he's talking about the 11, pardon me, his disciples. But he says, I'm not just praying for these, Father, but also for those who will believe in me by their word. That means he's talking specifically about you and specifically about me, meaning every person who is going to come to believe in Jesus Christ through the word of God from this point forward, God, I want to pray for them. And so Jesus, as we look back on this story, we learn, prayed for us, wanted something for us. It's kind of exciting. We make it into the Bible, actually. We're part of this story. And he prays for all of us, all of us who will believe. And his final wish, this is the last moment of his life, he's petitioning to the Father for something that obviously is a deep desire of his, a hope for his. He's begging God for something to happen. And his request is this, that all people who will follow him, be disciples of him, will be, in verse 20 he says, one, will be unified. will have a kind of unity that is born and lives and breathes and represents that they are followers of Jesus. Starting today, for the next few months, we're going to do a series of messages about Christian unity. We're going to see how Christian unity unlocks Christian maturity. In fact, if you have a desire to grow in Jesus Christ, to become more like Him, to be more seasoned, to be more mature in Jesus Christ, Christian unity is the pathway that unlocks that. We're going to look into what it takes to build the kind of community that every soul is longing for in a lot of ways when we talk about unity we're not just talking about some abstract philosophical theological classroom discussion what we're talking about is how do we ensure legacy and future of the body of christ not just generically but in this place that we may be one so today we're going to look at these short words of Jesus and see what he wants, why he wants it, and how he wants it. That's basically what we're going to do. We're going to start with the hope of Jesus. What does he want? He says, God, I'm praying to you that all who believe in me will be one. 
So what exactly does he want? He wants there to be a kind of unity. But what is unity? There are all kinds of incomplete and counterfeit versions of unity that exist in every place. You see, real unity is actually really deep and really difficult. A kind of unity that's, that's not to be broken, that cannot be destroyed, that cannot be shaken, is something that is really hard to achieve. And it's built upon two things that Jesus reveals to us. He builds unity upon two things. And we've got to make sure that as we talk about unity and having unity, that we build our Christian community here, our unity, on the right things. A lot of communities get built on things that are not what Jesus describes as unity. And we've got to make sure that we do that. It starts with our source. What is the source of our unity? Look down at verse 21. Jesus says, May they all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they be one in us. In us. What is it that actually unites this gathering of people this day in this room? What is it? What is the thing that brings us together? You see, people all across the world collect and gather themselves into groups for all kinds of reasons. People gather for political rallies. They're unified around a cause. People gather to provide relief effort when there's a disaster in a certain area. People gather together in unity about 20 miles uh, west of here when there's a football game, right? People get together for all kinds of reasons. Whether it's football and you're a fan of OSU or maybe you're an employee of Nationwide Insurance and you both go to the same building, there's unity around all these different ideas. Humans unify around all kinds of causes and not even just noble ones, sometimes things that aren't so good. Sometimes people gather together and exclude people for class reasons or race reasons or even just idea reasons. And if we're not careful, sometimes it can even become just religious reasons without Christ a group of people who look like each other and act like each other and share certain beliefs but have lost Jesus altogether we need a unity that transcends all of those things and the unity that Jesus is wanting for us is found in one source and one source alone he says that they may be one in us So the unity that Christians are to produce or to have is that I'm now found in Jesus Christ regardless of race, regardless of background, regardless of class, regardless of what football team I root for, what political beliefs I hold. When I come into Jesus Christ and you come into Jesus Christ, there is a unity that transcends all of those things. Not just from bad to good, but from death to life, we are in Christ. And the source of our unity has to be that we are now together in Jesus Christ. But it doesn't just stop with the source, that you and I are together because we are Christians. We also need to have a sort of substance to our unity. You see, we can all get together and be in the same room and say, I believe in Jesus Christ and you believe in Jesus Christ. And we can even sing together and pray together. But there's something deeper about the unity that Jesus wants to build. You notice he says there in verse 21, I want them to all be one. How? How does he want us to be unified? By pew? By songbook? By building? What's the substance for how we are unified? He says this, God, I want it to be just like I am in you and you are in me. 
personal, intimate, relational. The Bible uses the imagery of the church to be like a body to be connected, to be unified. He says over and over in Scripture that there is one body. And there's this old um, song, that uh, you know, this children's song that says like, you know, the head bone's connected to the neck bone. The neck bone's connected, is it shoulder bone maybe? Body bone? I, I don't know how it works, but you know. Arms connected to hand, right? And, and the song goes on and children learn the different parts of the body, but it really doesn't represent very well what a body is. A body is not a bunch of random parts just pushed together. A body from its very beginning is a cell that shares its life and reproduces to other cells. When you began in the womb, you started out as a cell that divided and multiplied and multiplied and multiplied, and that cell shared its life with other cells that eventually became one body. You share life inside of you. You see, the body is formed by sharing. And when Jesus says, I want them to be one, like I am in you, Father, and you are in me, what he's calling for is a sort of substance or quality of our unity. Because we are in Jesus Christ, we now share life together. That means that we are supposed to share things like our possessions. Acts chapter 4 says, in Acts chapter 2, that Christians, when they gathered together and they became Christians, none of them went without. That they took care of each other. That if somebody had extra and somebody had less, that they provided for each other, that they loved each other, they cared for each other. In fact, Acts 4 says that no one viewed his or her own possessions as if they were their own, not to be shared. That's the kind of community that was built in Jesus Christ, that if one part of the body was suffering... If one part of the body was in need, other parts of the body would rally around that part to make sure it was taken care of. We're a people that are supposed to share our problems. Galatians 6 tells us that we are to bear up underneath one another's burdens, to carry each other's burdens. So when you have problems, when you have challenges, the people that rally around you to walk with you, to pray with you, suffer with you, cry with you, and celebrate with you are those in Jesus Christ. We are to be a people who share our truth, the truth, with each other. Paul would tell us this in Ephesians chapter 4 when he's talking to the church there about maturing and growing up. He's saying we are to be people who speak the truth to each other in love. That is a defining quality of Christian community. In fact, the idea of us being honest with each other. The root word of honest means that we honor each other by telling the truth so that in the future we are closer, not farther apart. Church should not be a place where we perform and pretend. Where we walk around saying, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. And we pretend to be religious together and we depart to our own lives. Church is supposed to be a place as a family where we tell each other the truth. Sometimes hard truth. Sometimes difficult truth. But here's the challenge we must face. In our relationships, we have to build bridges between each other that can bear the weight of truth to go across them. If you don't spend any time building up any sort of relationships with people in the church, if you don't have in your life the kind of relationships where bridges are built that can bear the weight of the truck of truth coming over it, we're not going to be able to tell each other the truth. 
it's not in love and it's not honoring for us to not have relationships with people and walk up to somebody and just smack them with the truth. That's not what Christian community is. We've got to invest in people's lives, care about people, share possessions, share problems, share truth, and yes, even share our failures with each other. Think about two of the biggest leaders in the early church, Peter and Paul. When Paul became a Christian and started preaching the gospel, there were people in the church who Paul was probably connected to through his failures. People in their lives who had suffered at the hand of Saul of Tarsus who was persecuting the church, and there Paul was, a man full of failures in the Christian community, and he was welcomed in. Peter was a man who had to be restored by Jesus when he gave up and went back to fishing. Jesus shows up on the shore and says, Peter, I need you to feed my sheep, meaning I need you to go back into the community of people who are going to follow me, yes, as a person who has failed. For Christian community to really build and be the kind of unity God wants, we've got to share our lives together. So the question then becomes, why does Jesus want this? Why do you think he really cares about this happening? A kind of unity that's built upon us being one in Christ, but also sharing our lives together. Why does he want that? Isn't the point of Christianity just for me to make sure I get to heaven and maybe take as many people with me as possible, but we just need to get to heaven, right? Why do we need this other element or level of commitment? Well, there's two times that Jesus says, so that, in this passage, meaning he's got a why, he's got a reason behind this. If you look down in verse 21, he says, I want them to all be one, as I am in you, Father, and you are in me. May they be one in us, so that, here's why, so that the world may believe you sent me. Now go down to verse 23. I am in them, and you are in me so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know that you have sent me. Jesus wants unity, so the world will believe and know that he came for them too. He says it twice, but he changes the words. If you're a careful reader, you'll see that, right? He says, I want them to be one, so that the world will believe that you sent me. That means faith is born. It's the word for faith that we have, that they begin to believe. So when, they, when, when the world sees a Christian community, they begin to believe that somebody came, Jesus came. But then he says, I want them to be completely one or perfected in their oneness so that the world will know. That is, by experience, firsthand experience, he says, I want them to know that Jesus Christ came. Unity is the pathway for the world to come to faith and then experience firsthand life-changing power of Jesus. Our evangelism is rooted in our unity. In fact, our evangelism will be crippled without unity. There are two tracks, pardon me, two rails that the track of healthy church runs on. One is missional evangelism, going and reaching the lost. The other track is a loving family. And if you have one without the other, you don't have the church. If all you have is a loving family, we'll just be together and we're going to ride this ship all the way to heaven, but nobody else gets in, just us. That's not church. And if you have the other track that's saying missional evangelism, reach the lost, reach the lost, bring them in, but here it's dead and we're cold and we're lifeless, that's not the church. The two rails that a healthy church run are are missional evangelism and a loving family. 
And we've got to have both. Jesus said in John 13, 35, here is how people know you, will know you're a Christian. How do people know that you're a Christian? What is the evidence you present so that people know you're a Christian? You read your Bible at lunch, you pray, you, you walk, you talk, you wear a WWJD bracelet. What is it that makes people know you're a Christian? He says, by this all will know you're my disciples if you love each other. If you love each other. It's the one thing Jesus is going to examine and say, are you mine? Do you love the brothers and sisters? You see, unless the world sees unexplainable community, what I mean by that is a group of people who, for no other reason other than Jesus, should not be together. Education separates them, class separates them, race separates them, experience separates them, politics separates them. But for some reason, this group of people love and care and serve each other beyond all measure. Unless the world sees an unexplainable community within this church, our witness is crippled. In fact, it's meaningless. You see, think about this. As the church, we make some crazy claims, don't we? It's okay to acknowledge this. Like, I, I believe and I claim that God, who is spirit, became a human. I believe that he did not sin once in his life. I believe that he was wrongfully convicted and crucified on a Roman cross, and he was buried into a tomb that was not his, and I believe that life came back into that dead body and came back alive, and after 40 days, he ascended in that body to be with the Father. I believe that. I proclaim that. That's crazy to people who don't believe. We are making some unbelievable, outrageous, crazy claims and if people don't see a community that will die for that, they won't believe. Christianity has been run through the mud in our culture because we are nominally and culturally Christians, but not living like the church. Okay? Our witness is crippled and hampered in this world, and we are stifled of our joy and peace because we practice a form of religion that we've seen other people do for years and years, but we don't live like the church. And when we do, things definitely change. Know this. Here's what you and I must know. The honor of Jesus Christ in this community is tied to our unity to each other. I don't know if you buy that. Do you buy that? The honor of Jesus Christ's name in this place is tied to our unity of faith if we are as a group of people here indifferent about what we're doing in church if we're bitter towards each other if we're cynical and just critical of each other if we're joyless or even if we are passionate but only about things that don't really matter jesus is not honored in this place it doesn't matter how many songs we sing how many prayers we offer, how many sermons you listen to. If we are not the body of Jesus Christ unified in love, he's not honored. So how are we going to do this? Because there's thousands of reasons why we should not be together. Did you know that? The world is constantly finding reasons why people should divide. How do we do this? How do we overcome our differences? Build an unbreakable, God-honoring unity. How are we going to get to the point where we actually share our lives with each other. Jesus tells us in verse 22 and 23, he says this, 
He says, I have given them the glory you have given me so they may be one. It's kind of strange, isn't it? I've given them the glory that you gave me, God, and because I did that, they can be one now. You see, the third thing we're seeing is the help Jesus gives us. Jesus gave us something that will bring about unity, and that is his glory. Jesus gave us his glory to unlock our unity. Now, what does this mean? Glory is kind of a weird word. In fact, in the Old Testament, the word glory in the Hebrew language just means weighty or heavy. In fact, I'm trying to lose a little bit of my glory right now. You know, I'm carrying a little too much glory, and so I'm trying to reduce that. Just kidding. It's not exactly what it means. But glory in the Old Testament just meant like heavy, weighty. And what it really means, the idea of glory, is that it means significance, value, prestige, honor. That's what glory means. And Jesus says, I have given them honor, prestige, value. I've given them the fact that I cherish them. I've given that to them because of me. God gave it to Jesus, Jesus gave it to us. And here's the deal. You and I will only find in Jesus Christ the kind of value, the kind of honor, the kind of prestige, the kind of glory that we want only in Him. He's given it to us. So you are valuable, you are significant, you are worth something, you are prestigious only because of Jesus. Nothing else. Not your achievement, not your money, Not your education, not your job, not your heritage, not your family. None of those things give you the kind of honor and glory that Jesus wants to give you. Now here's the problem. So much of our divisiveness, not just in the world, but inside of these walls, comes from our pursuit of glory without Christ. When you are pursuing glory value, significance, worth for who you are outside of Jesus Christ, it by nature makes you divide from people because what you need to do is say, I'm better than them. That's where you get glory. I've got more money than them. I've got more education. I've got a bigger house. You see, when you do those things and you try to get glory outside of Jesus Christ, it makes you naturally a divisive person. And that's what makes us divide makes us competitive. It makes us compare to each other, to look down upon somebody, to condemn somebody, to say in our hearts, whether we say it with our mouth or not, I'm better than you. Because inside we're trying to unlock the experience of glory that says I'm worth something. And in Jesus Christ, you don't have to play that game anymore. In Jesus Christ, you can say, I'm worth something just because he loves me. And so are you. And we can be one in that. So what is this glory he gave us? What does that really mean? If you look down in verse 23, it says this. He says, I am in them and you are in me so that, they, so that they may be made completely, perfectly one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as I have loved you. See, Jesus says in verse 22, I gave them the glory you gave me. Then he says, I am in them like you were in me. So what is the glory he gave us? The glory Jesus gives us is himself. Himself. His love. He gave us him. That's the most valuable thing you can get from Jesus is himself. And you've got to do some serious heart evaluation to ask yourself, what do I want from Jesus? 
Do I want his power to make my life different? Do I want opportunities from him? Do I want social respect? What, what, what do you want from Jesus? Do you want the wealth, the influence, the opportunities? We get all of that from him, but ultimately what Jesus gives us is him, himself. And he gives that to us through his love. He says at the end of verse 23 that he has loved, that he wants the world to know that God has loved us as he has loved Jesus. It was his love that brought him here. We had done the unthinkable. Every person in here has done the unthinkable. We tried to find fullness of life without Jesus Christ, and we made a mess of it. Without Jesus Christ, we make a mess of our lives. We can't stop the turmoil, the fighting, the suffering, the hurt because of our sin. And so Jesus Christ came, took upon himself what belonged to us, the just result of sin, and he died. And in three days, he raised back from the dead because God said, you were not guilty. I let you suffer the consequence of their sin, but you, Jesus, are not guilty. You can come back to life. And in doing so, he paved a way for us to go into the grave and into eternal life with God the Father. And here's the secret. We're going to go together. We're going to go together. So when Jesus says, let's get together, God, please help them be one you and I should take serious the pursuit of real unity that is built upon the fact that we are in Jesus Christ, that produces a life that is shared together, that declares to a lost world there's a Jesus, a Savior that has come for you too. Don't miss being part of that great opportunity. Let's stand together and sing this song with Rodney. If you have a need, you can come.